Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. I'm Brennan, and I'm hosting today. Colin is out, which is a shame. He's missing out on uh, a great discussion we're about to have on uh, Adam Sandler's newest, Hubie Halloween. Uh, however, I am joined by Nick. As always, how's it going? Colin is a coward, uh, leaving us dry for what is possibly the most important episode on this podcast to ever happen, ever. We have Hubie. Hubie Halloween. It's a big day for us. <laughs> it is a very big day. We, we've been waiting for this thing for a while, and uh, it's here, finally, and it, it seems like it's here to stay. Number one this weekend on the Netflix charts, and I can't wait for a couple weeks from now, whenever they drop their statistics, that this thing is now the new most-watched Netflix movie. Um, but before we get into that, let's open up with uh, some box office um, news, as well as just some updates on some upcoming films. So firstly, we're going to talk about Soul, um, the new Pixar film, which is definitely highly anticipated. Um, Onward was had some hype, but Soul was always going to be the one that was going to bring the goods for Pixar this year. Um, so officially now, Soul has been moved uh, to Disney+. Plus. This will be on December the 25th, a Christmas Day release. Initially, it was supposed to hit theaters in November. Then they talked about some sort of hybrid. Um, but now it is officially going to be premiering on Disney Plus on the 25th. I can't say I didn't see this coming. Um, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know if they're going to do it like Milan. I, I would have to look into that. But I'll throw it over to you, and uh, I just want to hear some of your, your thoughts on this. Yeah, we had been hearing rumors, and a lot of the trades have been reporting this for a couple weeks, too. This was probably going to happen, and Disney was looking at um, just the landscape and obviously No Time to Die and all these other big blockbusters shifting and more theaters closing for the time being because they figure that they'll lose less money actually being closed than being open, which um, that's just pure economics, <laughs> which is just, uh, that's just a tough situation for everybody involved. But yeah, it's, I feel like this is a smart move, all things considered. And yeah, to follow up on your point, it is just dropping on Disney+. So there's no over-the-top price like Mulan or anything like that. So on Christmas Day, Soul is going to be available on Disney+. Plus. And however many Disney Plus subscribers there are, I think it's over like 60 million at this point. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a pretty smart move because I think it's clearly throughout the pandemic we've learned that there is just not enough diversification in how to release movies. And we haven't quite cracked the system and how to do that if theaters aren't great. And we've seen so many movies lose money, uh, like Mulan, which reportedly has lost a lot of money, or just movies just getting pushed back and back and back until even next year or even off the slate entirely because studios just don't know how to release them and make money. Uh, but the one the one genre that we've seen has, that has done pretty decently through all of this is the kids' movies. And every week we have on Netflix, it's like The Secret Life of Pets 2 or The Lorax or any Illumination movie or just any kind of animation movie. They always do really well in there. And there's like four or five that are playing there. And Trolls World Tour, the biggest movie of 2020, apparently, <laughs> um, that movie did really well when that came out on VO um, premium VOD. Um, so I think all things considered, probably Soul was supposed to be a big time movie for uh, Pixar and Disney. It was probably going to make a lot, a lot of money. Uh, Pixar movies always do pretty well, unless you're like a Cars movie or something like that. Um, but I think all things considered, I think this is a decent move because this is going to, I'm certainly going to watch it. Soul was a movie that I would, 
I had tapped to be the next Pixar movie to just ruin me and make me ball my eyes out after things like Inside Out and Coco. And it feels like every few years they have one of these movies that's just basically an adult movie that has really cool animation that kids can also watch. And this felt like the next one of those. But um, yeah, I think obviously not not in a perfect world here, but this does make some sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Um I was excited to see this in the theaters. Uh, and I do. I have seen here now that some countries that still don't have Disney Plus launched, this will be hitting theaters in those countries. I don't know where that is, but um, we'll see that occur. Um, uh, yeah, this is. It's an interesting move for sure. It's probably the smarter move. I know some people are, are a little upset that this isn't getting a theatrical release, um, or that they're not delaying it like they are with, say, Black Widow. Um, but uh, it is it is business, and the Crudes, however, has moved up from December twenty three to November twenty five to get a little bit of freedom <laughs> from Seoul. Um, so that's uh, something to look out for. I know that's your most anticipated. Yeah, I love the Crudes. Big Crudes head <laughs> over here. Um, that's uh, a, that's an that's an interesting one though, because I feel like every week we do see the Crudes show up on Netflix too. So maybe that's the next premium VOD animated uh, possibility because. I don't know, like theaters might not be open on Thanksgiving for the way things are going and just more and more companies are closing their doors for the time being with all these movies coming out. Because it looks like right now Free Guy is supplanted itself kind of as the next big ish movie to come out. I mean, we have things on Netflix and the trailer for Mank dropped this week, which I'm really, really excited for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Free Guy seems like the next one. So maybe I think. The Croods, probably. I think they're going to see what happens in the next few weeks, as are all studios. But I think that might be a premium VOD option. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, this Soul stuff's interesting. I think that it's going to absolutely destroy on uh, the, that weekend, uh, or on, sorry, the week of, of Christmas there. When it drops on Disney+, Plus. it's going to be doing some major numbers, especially because it doesn't have that $30 price tag. However, I do hope this isn't something that leads Pixar to say, um, go back to their formula of, of constant sequels. Um, I hope that they're not upset. I, I mean, who knows? I think they, they, this type of year where profits have been down, they might have to start relying on going back to the sequels. I know that they were trying to pull away from that. This was a big year with two original films from Pixar. Um, but I'm sure that we could be seeing in the coming years Pixar returning to uh, a lot of sequels. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And it is one of those tough things where if I'm a studio head, I don't think it's really, I don't think it's a good idea to take many trends, if any at all, from the coronavirus in, ter in terms of what we do with blockbusters, maybe for the more middling um, movies that are like the smaller budgets and things like that. Maybe you learn stuff about those, but yeah, I would hope that Pixar would continue to do all this creative stuff because I feel like with Disney, since I mean, ever since Apple sold Pixar to Disney, they've just kind of been like, all right, go do your thing, Pixar, and we'll release your movies. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like with just profits kind of fading away across the board for all these studios, I think that is a possibility where you could see maybe like Toy Story 5 or like... Incredibles 3 or Cars 4. I don't know, but um, it's definitely a possibility. It seems like I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past any of the studios to say like, hey, we need a quick buck, so let's return to the well one more time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's that's what we're probably going to see. Um, so we'll move a little bit away from there and actually talk about what has been going on at the actual box office, and obviously not too much, but Tenet has been knocked out of the top spot. I didn't see that coming, but uh, Robert De Niro's uh, The War with Grandpa, he's the lead in that film. He is the grandpa they're having a war with. Uh, that film has... Uh, Landed the top spot this weekend at the box office with $3.6 million out of uh, 2,250 theaters. Um, this is a movie that I think is going to have its little run at the box office, then go to uh, streaming or, or uh, VOD and probably do all right just because of its Robert De Niro. It's more of a family movie. But Tenet has been knocked out. However, um, we talked about this before we got on. Tenet has now touched around $325 million worldwide, uh, slowly chugging along. Um, but yeah, so the war with grandpa has unseated tenant. It is interesting with the war with grandpa. Cause we, we've been in the zone I and mean, you have the Irishman in here and a few others, but De Niro has squarely been in this mode now where he's been making a ton of just questionable decisions as an actor. <laughs> and he's been all these, right. He's been in, what was that grudge match that Stallone <laughs> De Niro movie where they're both like 80 years mm-hmm. old fighting each other. It's like, what the hell is this? And so many others. And I feel like, weirdly, like, and you watch the trailer for this and you're like, what the hell is this movie? Um, I'm certainly not looking forward to seeing this anytime soon. But it's, you would think that if this was on like a Netflix or Hulu or any of these streaming services, I feel like we would have talked more about how De Niro is just going after cash grabs left and right. But I feel like, weirdly, this movie is hidden from a lot of the discourse because it's in the theaters, which is such a weird thing to say, you know, but you know, I feel like people just aren't paying as much attention to it just because they can't readily watch it and no one wants to go to theaters now. Um, but yeah, I, it beating tenant is really funny to me. That's just a, like a fun thing that you can say out of context uh, for years to come and say, Hey, the war with grandpa beat tenant at the box office. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it's the War with Grandpa. It's a family movie, and I think, I don't know. I wouldn't take my kids to go to the movies right now, but it is one of those where one ticket essentially turns into two. So even where theaters are closing left and right, you still have the possibility of a improved box office return. Even though three point six probably isn't exactly what one hundred one studios probably wanted for this movie, but um, yeah, it's it's really strange. Tenant is doing okay. Um, as we've talked about many times, but it's it's really, really funny to, to see this number. Yeah, and as we talked about, uh, the drop-offs are still pretty good for a lot of these films, like uh, New Mutants, 34% from last weekend, Unhinged, 22%, Tenet, 22%. These are pretty low drop-offs, um, but it's just it's a tough time, right? And theaters are closing. I think Seoul probably, I mean, last week we heard about uh, the news of some of the big theater chains that are now set to close until April, and um, I think Seoul probably, you know, Disney probably saw that and was like, yeah, that's kind of the final nail in the coffin here with our plans for this release. Uh, let's move to Disney+. Plus. Um, so it sucks. The box office still looks pretty sad. But I think I'm officially used to these numbers. Like, I remember the first couple of weeks when things started coming back. Tenet was out, um, made its $20 million or whatever. I was looking at these numbers. I was pretty shocked. But now I'm looking at these numbers and I'm kind of used to them now. It is weird because I feel like with so many different things throughout this pandemic, I feel like it's gone on for so long that we have started to just rationalize a lot of things or just like it's the new normal now. So like, oh, everyone's in masks. It's so that's just how it is. Or when you 
go out to eat outside and everyone is keeping their distance. And we've, we're at this point now where it's been so long where we're like, yeah, that's just how it is now, which kind of is terrifying to me when you really think about it. But I'm the same way too, where we had so many months where it was just like, hey, hey nothing's happening. What do you guys want to talk about this week? <laughs> so now that we have like a some news, it's interesting. But yeah, you still have like nothing really, really going on. It's it's pretty sad. I feel bad for a lot of these movies. I know there's some movies where they came into theaters and probably made a little more than they probably would have. Something mm-hmm. like Infidel or maybe even Possessor, because that's like an NC-17 movie. I don't really know what that would have done in regular times. But for the most part, yeah, it's just it's pretty, pretty sad. Yeah. Even point to Unhinged. I mean, that movie's up at 37 million now worldwide. I think that's probably on par with what it would do regularly. Yeah. And that's especially for Solstice Studios. That was the first movie they were releasing. They're like, hey, we are a new distributor. Here we come. And then boom, pandemic, which is just like probably the worst timing in distributor history for something like that. But yeah, they're keeping afloat. With that, you really can't, yeah, everything, all things considered, Unhinged is doing pretty decently. And I'm sure, like everything else, the VOD tail will be a lot better. Yeah, I mean, you got, obviously, you got Russell Crowe there. He's a name that will probably get some uh, middle-aged men to just kind of rent it at home. <laughs> um, but the fact that this movie is done better domestically than it has overseas, like it's a little over 19.3 domestically um, versus 18 overseas, that's pretty good. I think that's pretty impressive, especially when you look at a movie like Tenet, which 15% of its gross has been domestic. You'll never see something like that again. Yeah, it's so weird. We're, it's very, these are trying times, as every, as every news outlet would say. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so we'll move on now to the Netflix top 10 and what everyone has been waiting for. I'm going to go from 10 to 1 so we can finish off with the best at number 1, obviously. Oh, please, um, please do. <laughs> so... As you mentioned, a lot of animated movies obviously kick in. Uh, Secret Life of Pets 2 at number 10. The Croods at number 9. They're drumming up some uh, interest for that upcoming film. Um, Super Monsters, Dia de los Monsters at number 8. The Outpost at number 7. Uh, shout out to The Outpost. That's a good movie. I rented it on VOD in June, I think, or July. That was a good good film. Um, Big Daddy at 6. So Adam Sandler's kind of spreading his wealth out here Enola Holmes uh, holds strong at number five Columbiana at four American Pie presents girls is rules I've never heard of this is this a new movie uh, I don't know who knows <laughs> I, I did not hear about that American Pie movie um, American Murder the family next door holds over at number two uh, this weekend and at number one QB Halloween uh, we are going to discuss this thing um too bad Colin's not here, but next week we're going to put him on the spot. He's going to have to talk about this movie. Even if he hasn't seen it, we're going to have the really awkward conversation where he has to tell the world that he hasn't seen it yet. So, Colin, I know you're listening right now because you love listening to stuff even when you're not on the pod, but you need to watch Hubie Halloween. It's the most important movie ever since Uncut Gems. We have to talk about it again. <laughs> um, I mean, real quick, I mean, we can, we can spin this thing and make this sound really good. Like, you got... Ray Liotta coming back and he, he, he's acting again. You got, um, you got Steve Buscemi. He's in here as some werewolf looking thing. I mean, you got Adam Sandler playing some <laughs> off personality type character. I mean, this is quite a movie. <laughs> it, it certainly is a movie. And even jokes aside, like, 
because I know it's like I feel like ever since Uncut Gems came out, we were all waiting for the next Sandler movie, and the memes were Fast and Furious when the trailer was released for this movie. I weirdly, I actually enjoyed this movie. I maybe I'd even recommend it, and this isn't even me going for the memes or being ironic. Like I, I kind of liked myself. I kind of enjoyed it. I had a good time. I found a lot of entertainment in this. I don't know. What did you think? Um, I liked the first little bit. I think as it went on, I just got more tired with it. Um, but I'll be honest, the first like 25 minutes or so, I laughed a couple times for sure. Um, and then maybe it wore off on me. But I like how with a lot of the cast, like he's got a lot of his classic guys in here, but he didn't unveil them right at the beginning. Like kind of as the movie went on, more guys started popping in. And uh, it, it kind of made for a fun time. It's it's weird, but it's funny to say. Maybe this is like the the lowest bar you can say for this kind of thing. But it's and actually functions as a movie, which you can't <laughs> which you can't say for a lot of Sandler movies. It's like you take out all of the movies that he's done with your PTAs and your Safety Brothers and your Apatows and just these Happy Madison productions. Like none of them. Like the big issue that I feel like I've talked about, I feel everyone's talked about is they look so lazy and they're all just movies with his friends where they get to go on vacation and they're in Hawaii or they're in wherever murder mystery was. That was, I forget where that was filmed, but it was basically just Sandler taking a European vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have all of like, there's so many different examples of this. Um, And I know I've talked about in times past where, as I, not, as I now have a job in real life where you kind of see like studios dropping the dropping the bank, like the bag for Sandler to be able to make these movies where I'm like, cool, go ahead. If someone's going to pay you that amount of money to do that, by all means have like, have fun. Like I would probably do the exact same thing. Uh, but this movie, it feels like a movie. It has a script. The production design looks really good. Like if there's this movie loves Halloween really mm-hmm. much. Like th- there's so much, Halloween paraphernalia, great costumes, just lighting. It looks like there's depth of field sometimes. Like it functions like a comedy movie, which is so much better um, than you can look for. And yeah, it's there's some fun little gags in here. I I don't know what Adam Sandler's doing in this movie. Like I had to put the <laughs> subtitles on because I couldn't understand what he's saying. And honestly, it does feel like a galaxy brain performance from him where it's like i'm gonna do something so weird that you can't turn away and you won't be able to figure out whether you like it or not kind of like what um what tom hardy did with capone where you're like i don't even know what's happening here but it's interesting yeah and i mean that's the that's a good strategy it really is and you have there's there's a couple of good gags in here <laughs> where there's 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 a vomit gag at the beginning of this movie that is so unexpected and it made me laugh really really hard and it's <laughs> so stupid uh, yeah. It is ungodly stupid, and it was so unexpected that I couldn't help but laugh. Um, there's a really there's a there's a few things with his thermos that I thought were really funny. Like I like that. I like ther- that part. I thought it was it was just like a super gadget where he uses his <laughs> soup thermos for everything. <laughs> it's like a grappling hook and like a blow dryer and all these crazy things, and it's so un like unrealistic, but it's really funny, and they play with that. Um, there's the other one where he's riding on his bike, and people just throw more and more aggressive things at him <laughs> and he's really good at ducking them because he's so used to getting things thrown at him or like i think at one point someone throws a tv monitor or a computer monitor at him it's so bizarre and so funny um 
but yeah, this the I think the best version of these Happy Madison movies are kind of what this is, where it's clearly a, a movie with all his friends again, but they are having a really fun time, and it's weirdly infectious. And this, like, there actually is some kind of script going on here, and it's not just laziness. I think that's the big thing here. There doesn't feel like there's huge. There's a lot of laziness in this movie. Maybe it's not. It's you're not going to get really any big themes from this. Although there is the one, the pre, the I guess the mayor of the town kind of doing the Jaws thing, where he's like, "No, we have to keep the town open on Halloween for tourism." <laughs> yeah. Um. But. I don't know. There's just it. It didn't strike me as a lazy thing, and I feel like with all the things 2020s thrown our way, like it's there's there are many worse things to watch than Adam Sandler just being weird for like a hundred minutes. Yeah, um, you know, I, I like it. It was a fun time. Uh, however, it struck me like there were moments in the movie where he's just kind of rolling around on the ground, or remember when uh, he was trying to dig up. Not dig up the grave, but he was trying to get some dirt away so we could read uh, some hidden letter. Like he's just kind of rolling yeah. on the ground. I'm like, this guy's a little too old to be rolling around on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there is a thing where I f- it's I think every Sandler movie of this type is like the 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 overarching idea is like be nice to everybody or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like a or it's like a an older guy stuck in some term like kind of adolescence where like, yeah, he's a mama's boy in this movie, which pays off later on, which is very weird. Um, can't say I'm on board for that part of the movie and I'll keep that. Um, I will stay out of spoiler territory there, but yeah, it's every single time where he's like, I'm going to be a really weird dude, like a 13 year old trapped in whatever, however old Sandler is at this point, his body and just do weird things. Um, I don't know. Larry, I thought Ray Liotta was kind of funny too, just being a curmudgeon. I enjoyed it. The, the bullies in this movie are so cruel. Like, they <laughs> yeah. go overboard just yeah. to be so, so mean. Yeah. Um, there's, I don't know, like, maybe I am predisposed to like a Sandler movie. I do like a lot of Sandler movies, even the, even before I fell in love with Uncut Gems. Like, I grew up with Sandler movies, and I feel like so many other people did too, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a there's an energy to this movie that I with I thought was really infectious. Yeah, and um, you're right. Some of the bullies are a bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and the movie is kind of it, it's it is pure PG thirteen. Like there's a there are a couple times where it it, it steps a little it a little uh, further than some of his movies usually do. Yeah, there there is the fun gag where I, I don't know why because normally I hate this kind of stuff, but. Their June Squibb, uh, Adam Sandler's mom, is wearing all of like the yeah. the t-shirts, and she doesn't understand like the like the boner donor t-shirt <laughs> stuff like that. And it's just like I don't know, I can't really describe. I think it's just because everyone is really trying. Where it's like I can get on board for how dumb this is because it's not just all right. Where's my paycheck? You can kind of see like Julie Bowen is like so earnest in this movie. There was a point where I thought like she was going to be the villain of this movie because she is yeah. playing it so earnest and nice and like oh my god I love you Hubie, where I was like oh, there's, something's gonna like a shoe's another shoe's gonna drop here right and no she's just being she really nice Hubie <laughs> she really does it's very I mean that's another thing maybe you want to pry at where it's like Julie Bowen very attractive woman uh, going after Hubie <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's like what is this <laughs> you um. know. 
this is also one of the first movies that his kids have played a not a massive role, but they were actually in it more than just standing around. Yeah, Jackie Sandler's in there too. Um, yeah. she's been in a, she's been in a few of the Happy Madison movies where I think she was in the wrong Missy too as the mean like I guess rival to David Spade. But yeah, I don't know. It didn't. There's so many things about this where there was a lot of intentionality and just a lot of thought put into some of these set pieces. Um, it just it was inventive. There's some cute little things in the script that I really liked, and yeah, it's it goes into that probably not great saccharine territory that a lot of Sandler movies go to, where it's like an hour and a half of like sophomore uh, gags, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's all be nice to each other, or hey, true love is great, right? And that's like all of his movies, but. Um, I don't know, like Steve Buscemi just rolling, roaming around as a werewolf human hybrid. I just, I don't know. It's, there's so many things in this movie that were so weird and so specific that they just made me laugh and kept my attention. And one of the big things, I feel like I'm bearing the lead here. Uh, this is really important. And this movie hints at a greater Adam Sandler extended universe, the ASEU. As I'm now coining it. It's going to be a thing from now on. This is the new stage of Sandler movies. But in the first scene, there's a reference to Hal, um, the awful orderly in Happy Gilmore, played by Ben Stiller. Uh, if you remember from that, just terrorizes his grandma and all the other old people. <laughs> or his, one of his famous lines in that movie is like, you better go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. <laughs> it's like all these awful things to say they, to old people. And it's really funny. He makes an appearance in this and he is, it's the same bill. It's the same character in IMDb. He is, cred- he is credited as Hal. So it's the same person. And then one of the random kids in the town is one, is a new O'Doyle, which if you remember from Billy Madison is that yeah. awful group, the awful family where they just yell O'Doyle rules. And there's like four, I don't even know how many of them are, but all of them, literally their whole lines are O'Doyle rules. <laughs> so there's another one. Um, so I'm prepared for just another further connect connectivity in all these Adam Sandler movies. So maybe bring in Big Daddy next time when all the Sprouses come back. Mm-hmm. As you can have like a Big Daddy two and reference Hubie Halloween, and so another question like, does this mean that Hugh, Adam Sandler's various characters exist? So like, could Billy Madison and Hubie have a conversation together? These are like the important questions that I have. I think that you're onto something here. I think there is a real potential there for uh, this Adam Sandler extended universe. I'm ready. If Hubie Halloween wants to spin off into an MCU 20 plus movies, I'm ready. It's so <laughs> weird. It's so weird that I'd be willing to talk about it for the next 5,000 years or however long it goes. Oh, yeah. We're ready for it. Um, <laughs> I also just wanted to point out something wild. Um, 14 and a half minutes of credits. D- did you notice that at all? Yeah, because they do all of the, they have the outtakes, right? Yeah, you so, get the outtakes, but like that's a long time. <laughs> it's really... Because that I thought that was too. Because I saw the the time on it. It was like an hour forty three, forty five, something like that. Is what this movie is. And I thought that I was like, oh, that's way, that's too long. Like Hubie Halloween yeah. needs to be ninety minutes. But then the movie's done at like a minute, at like an hour twenty eight or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's like ah, perfect. And then yeah, if you're there's some good outtakes too. Yeah, and it kind of goes to the thing where normally that's another thing that I don't like the outtakes because it's like oh, look at all the fun we had that probably wasn't in the film because the movie wasn't good 
but it like it leaves you on a fake high note as you leave the theater or as yeah. you go to something else where you're like oh that movie was so much fun but this movie i don't know like you kind of know like just from all these people being in the public eye like they're actually really our friends so the reactions they have when they laugh are pretty are pretty genuine they like each other and it seems like they're laughing and really enjoying themselves so i don't know i feel like <laughs> i'm in i just you watch all the different things the debates and continuing pandemic and you just kind of need something that i don't know i don't like the I, the phrase turn your brain off because i just can't turn my brain off. i don't think that's a thing in terms of movies but if you want something that's not super like you don't have to pay really attention to it or anything like that like hubie halloween it's kind of weirdly the perfect movie for right now even if it's obviously not very perfect but i don't know i had a lot of fun so tenet attempted to save cinema and you know where to try but <laughs> adam sandler has saved not just cinema but our universe <laughs> adam sandler is king you can do whatever he wants i'm still waiting for the really really bad movie from from uncut gems and yep. maybe it'll be heralded as a disaster piece or something because people are like lol this is hilarious that he made a really bad movie because hollywood rejected him we i'm are ready excited. for it yeah um <laughs> So yeah, that's a great rundown there of Hubie Halloween. Um, probably longer than it needed to be, but still not long no, enough. Not long, <laughs> not long enough. Never. I would devote the rest of this podcast for as long as it goes. So well, until twenty fifty, we're, we're going to have part two next week. So we're okay. going to have okay. uh, we're going to have Colin on for part two. <laughs> you, you can pitch him your um, AS uh, EU thoughts, um, and then we'll see what he thinks. I'll watch it five more times and have many more thoughts coming next week. Yeah, find all the Easter eggs for me. Make a YouTube video about them, and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll be set for part two. I'll, um, make it the, I'll make it the video clip where it's the YouTube guy, like, hands overhead going nuts. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, the yeah. 27 things you missed in Hubie Halloween. And it'll be terrible. Red circle on something. Exactly, yes. Um, so that's uh, Hubie Halloween. I can't wait for a few weeks from now when Netflix says this is, like, the most watched thing. And I would actually believe it. I think... This year, we saw that bar get set a little higher with Extraction. I think this could easily beat Extraction. This this garners more audience, in my opinion. It's so weird because maybe it isn't weird because I feel like Sandler is one of the last few stars that people turn out for to see the movies. And I think going to Netflix was a really smart move on his part. But even people who see like two movies a year, they know who Adam Sandler is and all of his movies. Movies do really, really well on Netflix now. Like even Big Daddy was in the top ten this week. Everyone, everyone knows him. All these movies do really well, and even something like The Do Over or The Ridiculous Six, those did well for Netflix, even though they were very, they were steaming piles of shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I don't know. I think Sandler is a really smart businessman. You can say what he, what you want about his movies, and I think a lot of those thoughts are warranted, but. His movies, he keeps getting movies made. He keeps getting crazy budgets to do these pretty low-rent things. You just like Again, like Murder Mystery. That's literally just him on a European vacation. And they, <laughs> Netflix gave him $70 million to do that, which is insane. But he keeps getting stuff made. And there's a lot of people you can't say that for who are super talented in the business. He's he's the king of Netflix, for sure. I think we, really can agree, we can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's our top ten. A few animated movies there. The Croods, kind of, as we said, building up some uh, hype probably for a few months from now with that 
sequel. Um, so let's move away from that. I know that you have a, a quick thing you want to talk about, uh, a recent release that you did uh, check out. Yeah, so I wanted to do a quick mention Charm City Kings, which dropped on HBO Max this past weekend. I saw it at Sundance, and I put a review up for it on the site. And uh, boneheaded me, uh, pre-pandemic me, saying, I think the logline was... Hey, Charm City Kings has a chance to be a really big deal <laughs> once it le- once it goes into theaters. And, well, that didn't happen. It's on HBO Max. It was supposed to go to Semi Pictures Classic, and I think it was supposed to come out in April, which obviously didn't happen. And then it changed hands at some point. Now it's on HBO Max. But this movie's terrific, and it it feels like the next in line in terms of in those movies like Boy- Boys in the Hood or the young people um, in tough neighborhoods trying to get by and and getting seduced by gang members. or It reminded me a lot of The Hate You Give, too, a movie from years ago that I really liked. But it stars, I, I hope I don't butcher his name, but Jai Diallo Winston, who you've probably seen in uh, Proud Mary, or maybe you haven't because no one saw Proud Mary. But um, he was in Queen and Slim, too. He played a pivotal role in that movie. But he is terrific in this movie. So this movie is about a young um, boy played by Winston. His name's Mouse. And... He is really interested in joining this dirt bike gang in Baltimore. And, and I think that this is based on a true story. And I forget the name of the documentary this is based on, too. But um, all this is uh, based on true events where there is a big deal of uh, biker gang and dirt bike gang in the Baltimore area. Um, and it's, it's a lot of um, he wants to he sees he doesn't really have any role models. And he sees these dirt bikers with very questionable morals and gang um, relations as the only people that he looks up to. And then uh, Meek Mill is in this movie, plays a really interesting role, um, really interesting role. And I think he's actually terrific in this movie. Uh, my Philadelphia roots were uh, just going nuts when there's a dirt bike chase scene and Meek Adelphia comes on and it's just amazing. Um, but he's, he has a really good performance in here. Um, it's, it's a really, really good movie. Uh, I think there's, especially for the time we're in right now, I think that there's people who find a lot in this. Um, I hope people check it out. It's really, really good. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know too much about this, but the Meek Mill, um, that performance kind of in- interests me. I think I did hear about the casting for this movie when that first got uh, released a while back, but it has a great title, Charm City Kings. Yeah. It's really good. It's a, I feel like Baltimore, one of the best nicknames for a city, Trump City. But yeah, Meek Mill's good in this. It's one of those where you can tell he's probably not the best actor, but he is used very, very effectively in this movie. And his his role is very interesting and juicy, and there's a lot to pick at. So I hope people check it out, because it is on HBO Max. Do you think he has a, a career going forward? I wouldn't mind it. I think he's good. I think you could you could use him... And other movies, and yeah, he won't have the biggest range, but there's a role for him. And you've seen other rappers kind of go that way as well. Um, I yeah, I think he's really he's really interesting in this movie. Yeah, uh, that's good. So check that out. That's HBO Max, as you said. I'm going to uh, talk about a film I watched a couple of days ago. Um, it's a Chinese movie. Came out in 2018. Maybe the director by Gone. I believe he's. It's one of his first movies. He's a younger director. Um, it came out 2019 in in other markets. But this is a very good film. Very humanist film. Um, I watched it on Canopy. Uh, you and me talked about that before we got on. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but it's a pretty good streaming service for foreign films. It's also on the Criterion channel as well, however. 
Um, and the fact that this movie had a 59 minute take that I didn't notice until kind of getting near the end of the take is pretty impressive. I do want to get into the movie a little. I don't know you've watched it, so we can talk about it a little bit. Um, not really the movie itself, but kind of some of the techniques he used, because there's some very interesting use of 3D technology in this film that obviously I didn't get to experience because I watched it at home um, and it's been out for years, but it was very interesting. It's a very humanist film, just about a guy who kind of is coming back to his uh, town when he was younger and he's just trying to uncover some mystery of uh, of his life. Um, very good film, though. Yeah, it's one of those where people are just generally sad for two and a half hours. So if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, um, but in all seriousness, it's a very good movie um, that is very, very art, art housey and definitely not for everybody. Cause it's a lot of people whispering. And like I said, people generally just being sad and not knowing their direction in life and trying to uncover things about themselves. Um, and it's really interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> this movie has what a hour and a half long prologue? It's hilarious. Uh, well, maybe not hilarious, but it's so interesting because you're on this very long, winding, kind of amorphous journey, and then it goes to black, and then it's a long day's journey into night. You're like, whoa, that was the prologue. What? And then yeah, it turns into this yeah, 59 minute long take that is so fascinating and it is so hallucinatory. And it plays, it's like one of the most interesting dreams, I feel like, that I've mm -hmm. seen on on film. And it felt like the dream logic where it's like you're suddenly, this person is right next to you. Now they're gone. Now you're over here. And mm -hmm. what is this? What is it? all this spatial awareness? It is so interesting. Um, I loved it. Um, it's one of those where uh, I liked it in the moment. I thought it was really interesting. And I thought, eh, I probably won't ever see that again. But Weirdly, I have been thinking about it every so often, and I think that's the intended effect. And um, I, yeah, I think this movie is really, really interesting if it's the kind of movie for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very good. And I actually do want to, I do want to make a quick note here because it, it was, I believe it might actually be a Taiwanese film um, or maybe a joint production. Uh, but I did want to note that. But um, yeah, it, it, it is very good. And there is one thing I do want to point out. Um, I don't know if you noticed this or, or read about it, but there is a point in the film where 3D kicks in and you're signaled that 3D kicks in when he puts on his 3D glasses sitting in a theater. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's. I saw this. This is one of the coolest viewing experiences. I saw this in a downtown theater and it was literally... There's literally 25 seats in the theater I saw it in. Oh, it's super neat. intimate, mm -hmm. uh, really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, if I caught that at the time. Yeah, it's neat. I, I, so I read it a little bit about the background of the film, and it's just like there's, they have these long take. So it's, it's the, it is the third, or it is the 59 minute unbroken long take sequence, and that's supposed to be in 3D. Um, so you have your 3d glasses or whatever and you don't need them for the entire movie but when he puts on his that's the signals to the audience that they put on theirs and uh i just found that kind of cool um also the movie's really gorgeous too i one i was reading here that's why i knew it was probably a joint production at the golden horse awards which is a taiwanese film uh kind of their academy awards it won the best cinematography award there and it is a gorgeous movie to look at um great um great color palette as well 
but yeah, this is a good good film. And fifty nine minutes unbroken, like that choreography, that that setup, that has to be spot on. It is so interesting because normally when you have a longer take like that, it is like it's stitched together. Like I I've said my piece on nineteen seventeen, a movie I still don't like, but that you can see all, all the stitching in that, or it's just people talking in a room but this is the camera is zooming all over the place and it goes at one point it's going on a pulley down down a zip line um it is if there if there was like a hidden cut in here i don't know uh because it's so well put together and so interesting Um, yeah and i i did read that the director he had to there were seven total attempts before he was happy with that 59 minute take um but yeah, that's the thing. I really had no clue that this was this was a thing. This fifty nine minute take until near the end of it, I'm like, that was long. And then I read that it was fifty nine minutes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was half the movie. Um, but this was good. This was good for sure. And one thing I also wanted to point to about this movie um, is even more so than just the take. Something a little bit with the background of when it came out. So obviously, this is it's it's a very art house film, and it got a big release in China. Um, and it made big money on the day of uh, its release. It came out actually on New Year's Eve, and I, I just find Chinese culture and the and the way they kind of include cinema into things as very cool because I could never see this happening in the U.S. or anywhere else for that matter, even in Canada here. But they set up the show times on Christmas Eve so that the movie ended at midnight because there's like these sparklers and this this kind of like it looks like it's a, a, a midnight sequence and it was supposed to end right at when things struck 12 in real life for everyone watching. So I find that kind of cool. Um, cool kind of set up by uh, Chinese cinemas there. But the movie made $28 million on the first day in China. And overall, it just made $41 million in China. So it really didn't make much after that. And apparently it got like massively review bombed in China too uh, by people who just didn't really get it or like it. And I guess they weren't ready to see uh, the capital C cinema. <laughs> yeah. It seems like, it sounds like this movie was heavily marketed as something it's not. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you go into this movie thinking it's maybe not something that's action packed, but something that's just like a little more accessible or what you're used to watching, you are, you might hate this movie. Cause like I said, it is people, it is, it's hard to just even describe this plot. It's I guess a mystery, but it's really just a more, about people searching like longing for something that you don't really know what it is in the end but i think it's a really interesting hypnotic movie in that sense but yeah i could see a lot of people watching this and getting lulled to sleep really really fast because it is very dreamlike the entire time even before the 59 minute uh take and it's just slowly moving through the what it's showing you and people are whispering and um, there's a few scenes with people eating whole apples that were pretty interesting to me. <laughs> but yeah, this is when I say it's not a movie for everybody, it really isn't. It's, it's a tough sit if you are not into capital C cinema, but, um, I recommend it. It's for people who do like capital C cinema because there's so much craft in it. And I think it, it is one that I do want to return to at some point because I think I might've been a little dismissive when I first saw it, but it's very good. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. I mean, you just kind of think of it. This movie did hit like a massive wide release in China. And it, uh, <laughs> it it's pretty much just like your small indie movie getting like a Avenger scale release. <laughs> I don't think it, it, it probably was intended to um, 
I don't think audiences intended to go see this type of movie. It probably was something to do with the advertising. Yeah, it's we see that all the time here too. There's like yeah. I feel like every eight 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 twenty four horror movie, they're like you they get some quote out of Sundance where like this is the scariest movie ever, and then someone sees it who sees again like two movies a year and they're like this movie was stupid nothing happened, and you're like well that's not the point of it but yeah it's uh it's definitely one of those instances for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so let's move on to just something you watched here before we wrap it up. Yeah, I want to talk about David Fincher's The Game, which I had never seen before up until this week. And I mean, David Fincher is one of the best filmmakers working right now, not the best. And I saw the trailer for Mank and it got me really excited to see that. And so I dipped into The Game, which, yeah, I had never seen before. And it's one of those that I feel people don't really talk about a lot in his filmography. Uh, but frankly, I loved it. It's it's terrific. And I've it's a little more divisive and you can see why because so this movie is about Michael Douglas and probably one of the last good Michael Douglas performances, but he gets a, a birthday card from his brother played by Sean Penn. And it says it's for this mysterious company called consumer recreation services, I think is what it's called CRS. Um, and it's, it's called the game and they take all these tests and they can create this, this simulation. It's a simulation kind of, but they create this game for you and um, you don't know what, exactly what it is until it starts happening. And it, it's, this is a David Fincher movie, so it turns into serious thriller territory right away. A lot of mystery in here. And it's one of those where if you look at it totally literally, you're like, how is this company doing all these different things to Michael Douglas? This is ridiculous. Like there's all these crazy shootouts and they're controlling so many different things. And you're like, all right, these people are like God. Like, how is this happening? <laughs> you know, but uh, I I took this movie a little more a little more figuratively. Uh, if you look at this movie, kind of as uh, people have talked about it as like Scrooge, where uh, it's Michael Douglas kind of recede like receding back into his mind and kind of looking at his own life and what he's done and what he's failed to do. It's uh, I think it's really interesting in that sense because you can look at there's a lot of really good interesting dream logic that this movie has where all these things are happening and if you take it literally it's you look at it you're like what like this makes no sense and if you try to like pick apart all of the like i guess plot issues uh, you could you would like lose your mind in the first 15 20 minutes like there's so much that just isn't possible if you take everything as these are actual people doing actual things but if you look at it as someone taking stock in their life and the horrors that come with that, if you're not so great of a person, uh, I think the game is really, really cool. Um, so maybe that's a galaxy brain reading of this movie. Uh, but I really, really liked it. And it's so well photographed. I mean, it's David Fincher movie. It's so meticulously put together. Um, it's just, the framing, editing is just terrific. There's a couple, there's a shootout scene, which I thought was incredible in this movie. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't seen this, I would say check it out. You might hate it. It does seem like it, it is very divisive among Fincher heads and just people in general. But um, I found something in it, so maybe you will too. Is this his second movie after Alien 3? Um, I think he made he made 7 before this, I think. Yeah, and then you're right. This yeah. was between 7 and uh, Fight Club. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really good. I liked it a lot. Michael Douglas is terrific in it. Um yeah, Sean Penn is really good in it. He's in like a few scenes, but he just he's on one. He's going nuts. Um, yeah, it's 
there's one shot at the end. There's a slow motion shot. And uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about, but I'll leave it uh, as that. But there's a slow motion shot at the end that is so beautiful. And one of the fa- my favorite David Fincher feats of filmmaking that he's done. It's so cool looking. Uh, yeah, it's there's so many things like even at the end where you're like, hey, like, is this really all possible? No, but uh, <laughs> I think it's. The movie is very consistent if you look at it not figuratively or or figuratively I should say if you look at it as that and not as this is all happening in the real world, um, it all stays pretty consistent. So I don't know. Keep an open mind. Maybe take some drugs. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> open your mind a little bit to it. I I think it's really really interesting and frankly one of my favorite ventures. Maybe not Zodiac or Social Network. Maybe not there, but it's up there. I really like it. Yeah, that's good. And I mean. You're obviously getting ready for Mank, um, and that's going to be uh, exciting. December 4th, I believe, is when that is going to hit Netflix after a short release in, I guess, wherever they can find theaters to play it in November. Um, but we are excited for Mank. Yeah, I feel like that's the next big pod. Maybe we do, since we'll be talking about Hubie for a few weeks at that point, we do <laughs> Hubie and Mank together. I'm ready. Yeah. Now I'm down. Um, so that's a, that's pretty much it for this week's episode of the Movie Babble podcast. You can always check out our uh, content on our website at moviebabble.com, uh, the Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, shout out the LinkedIn as well. Um, <laughs> but we've got stuff everywhere. So uh, we'll be back next week, obviously, with a little bit more QB. Uh, hopefully we get to hear Colin's input. Um, but yeah, uh, great having you on, Nick. Thank you. And we will hear Collins input. It's going to happen. So I'm ready for it. Aren't we all? Uh, catch you next week at moviebabble.com. Mm-hmm.